And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to the Athletic MBA Show. Monday through on the Athletic Podcast Network. From the Golden Gate to the New York Bay. What I have access to is a bit different than the public. Tamper with you. Welcome to Tampering. We're this beautiful game of basketball that we all love and talk about every single day. Sam and Anthony Slater uh-huh. and Fred Katz. Uh-huh. To be able to bring people together. Reportedly at the center of an NBA investigation into tampering accusations. And the message to executives in the league is not talking about players on other teams. What did I do? The charges filed. Impermissible contact. Right or wrong? Tampering charges are really difficult to prove. You know me, I talk. (laughs) (laughs) Awkward to even talk about. I can't even mention Dean's anymore. Actually, what I like to play with Kevin Durant. Trial, you're one with tampering. They're always ahead of the rules. It's not rocket science. I didn't tamper. I'm just telling you what happened. I'm just telling you what happened. Here's your host, Sam Amick. Hello and welcome to the Tampering Podcast, part of the Athletic NBA Show Network. I'm Sam Amick, NBA National Writer at The Athletic, here with the one, the only West Coast brethren, Anthony Slater. What's up, my friend? How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Man, we have no Fred Katz again. Fred, we're starting to take it personal. Our East Coast brother, Nick's beat writer, you know, your your team wins nine games in a row, 11 out of 12. We, we're, we're on here on this week's tampering, partly to talk about are the Knicks legitimate Eastern Conference contenders. But unfortunately, because Fred's number one priority is to actually cover the team, he's traveling. We miss Fred again. We'll get Fred next time, hopefully. Maybe uh, we'll that, do like a more Knicks deep dive next time we get Fred, hopefully next week. 100%. 100%. And he can give me a hard time for not putting Emmanuel quickly on my top three for six man of the year. We can, we can, who's your top three? That. Oh man, don't put me on the spot. I had Brogdon on there. I had Norm Powell on there. Now that has changed because the Clippers decided to go get one Russell Westbrook. So their dynamics are a little also, different. Also, Norm Powell during a game I was at in San Francisco looked, seems like he dislocated or, you know, subluxation, whatever the term is of the Terrible. left shoulder. Yeah, I've seen him in a sling. I went to UCLA, Arizona, actually, when I was down in LA, and he was at the game in a sling. Yeah, I mean, he he no, he was in the sling when they played the Kings the other night too. Okay, that, that is a legitimate injury, and you have effectively helped me stall enough. The number three guy on my list. This was the debatable one that I actually feel pretty good about. Are, are you was, are you seeing what's happening, Sam Amick? What's that? What do you got? What do you got? What do you got? I mean, there's another what? person in the chat. <laughs> Great timing. Up, Fred Katz is joining from the airport. I'm Fred. crashing from the airport. I just got off the plane one second ago. You have I'm not no letting idea. you guys talk about this Knicks winning streak without me getting word in. Do you have any idea how great your timing was? We were just saying how much we missed you. We are saying that next week on the pod, we could do this now. This is, And by the way, for the listeners, we're going to start with Knicks. Obviously, we're going to get to the rest of the NBA, the John Morant saga, Steph Curry returning, you know, more uh, handicapping the home stretch. But now, all things Knicks. Fred, I didn't have Emmanuel quickly on my top three for six man, and, and I was, you know, 
ready for you to to just kind of let me hear it about that. Uh, that that young man is playing some ball. They beat Boston yesterday, double overtime, second time during this nine game winning streak. One of many things going splendidly for your Knicks. Uh, what say you? I mean, they're playing incredible basketball right now. You're right about quickly. He's been on a whole other level. Uh, 38 points last night against Boston. And it's not just the scoring. I mean, you see the scoring go up with him. He's averaging like 17 a game the last two and a half months or something. But he is, I mean, Mr. Robinson, because he's a big man, because he anchors it, is probably their most important defender. But quickly is just an invaluable defender. Like, I, I think I think he's going to be on all defense teams at some point in his career. Uh, he's just spectacular team defender on the perimeter. He really directs their defense. Plays with so much energy. I I didn't go to Boston last night. I watched a game with my mother, and it was her first Knicks game of the season. And two minutes into the game. Watch the game with your said, mother in person. In person. Nice. And, That's fantastic. And, she, and uh, two minutes into the game, she says, who's that guy? I was like, it's Emmanuel quickly. Uh, she said, he, play, he plays with so much energy. I was like, my mom knows nothing about basketball. <laughs> and two minutes into the game, she could identify, like, that's the guy sure. who brings the energy to the Knicks. Uh, it's just very apparent, uh, the pace that he brings, the energy that he brings. Uh, he's so important to them. I was going to say, I got you real quick, Slater. Sorry to jump in again. I got you in, in serious basketball mode too quickly. Can you give us a little bit of the color? Because the people not watching on YouTube here, you know, Fred is is being a loyal tampering co-host Coming yes. to us from the airport, you know it's clearly cold back east. You got that winter coat on. What what is the context here of, of your travel schedule? Today? I mean, the context is I just got off the plane one second ago. We got a nice we got a nice escalator situation behind me. Uh, I'm like I'm not going down the escalator quite honestly because I just didn't think it would be good audio. Just hearing my <laughs> my my bag drag on on the graded metal. So instead, I'm standing next to it, and you can hear everybody else's bags drag. So I was just wanted to ask about Julius Randle, right? I mean, he's sure. been like you know, maybe the best player in the league since the All Star break. He's got like a forty six point game. He had that crazy game winner in Miami. Um, his his arc has been the last three seasons has been like this wild roller coaster, right? Like you know, the 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 All NBA breakout. Then last year, it felt like he was one of the most disappointing stories in the league. He was like kind of like beefing with the fan base a little bit too, right? Uh, and then he's back again this year to like all NBA form. Like what just what's what ha- what's happened with him in the last three years? I would say it's a number of different things. So he made all NBA two years ago. He got on the second team. He won most improved player. And the way that he's succeeding this year is completely different from the way that he was a couple of years ago when he just dominated from the mid range. I uh, shot a ridiculous percentage on jump shots, which I don't think anybody really considered to be that sustainable. Uh, He was over 40 from three. Uh, He was handling the ball a lot. The offense ran through him. And and now things are very different. Last year, he really struggled being the focal point of the offense. Like, that wasn't wasn't for him. His biggest weakness offensively is his recognition of double teams when they come. We saw that late in the Boston game last night, too, where, you know, double teams come and he doesn't realize it and he turns it over. He gets off the ball late, that kind of stuff. That's stuff the coaching staff is telling him all the time. With Jalen Brunson there, that's not as big of an issue. Now, all of a sudden, Brunson's setting him up. Uh, Ryan Rucco said in the broadcast last night, he has more points off spot-up jumpers than any other player in the league. 
this year, which is extraordinary. And he's completely renovated his shot selection in the way that he operates. He's taking more threes than ever, like by far. And he's only shooting 34, 35% from three. But because he's taking so many threes, he's basically eliminated the bad long twos. And he gets to the rim a little bit more. And he gets in the paint a little bit more because some of those long twos are now short mid-range shots. Just because of the types of shots that he's taking, he's been his most efficient player since he comes to New York. Uh, he's been he's been great. He's playing at a different intensity. Uh, defensively, he's playing at a different intensity. And you're right, since the All-Star break, I mean, that Miami game, like, it wasn't just the game winner. He had 43 in that game and was hitting everything. It, Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo played incredible defense on him. And he hit an unbelievable floater over Bam. He was just taking him one-on-one, like it was mismatches. And, and those guys are as good as it gets. Uh, he was just on fire. And he's been reading the game great finding guys in the corners, passing out. He's just, he's playing at another level right now. Uh, a couple numbers for you, gentlemen, because uh, yeah. the nine game winning streak for obvious reasons is in the spotlight, but 11 of 12 is the stretch. You know what I mean? Where they have really turned it around. They were 28 and 26 on February 4th. Uh, during that stretch of 12 games, we mentioned Randall, 28 and a half points, uh, eight and a half boards, 4.2 assists, you know, 50% from the field, 40 from three. Big-time production, big-time numbers. Jalen Brunson, almost 27 points a game, uh, six assists, four boards. Quickly, uh, what jumps out for me is is almost 43% from long range on about six-and-a-half attempts a game. Um, and by the way, Julius Randle, just to go back to him, uh, and I don't have his entire uh, career numbers in front of me, but my goodness, boys, 10.13s. I mean, you're talking, you know, sincere, the Steph Whisperer, in the Bay there, Slater. I mean, that that's up in Steph territory as far as volume, or at least in the neighborhood. Yeah, yeah. I mean that that was a that was a very conscious decision too. Like that's something that the team has been pushing him on. Tom Thibodeau has been pushing him on. The coaching staff has been pushing him on. Like they wanted him to redistribute his shot selection. Tibbs is always throw the flack of Tibbs gets for being old school and that kind of stuff. Like he is always talking about what he refers to as the value of shots which is he wants dunks, he wants layups, he wants threes. The Knicks have a really analytically friendly shot profile from that from that set. And, and man, Randall is just – he's made a serious effort to take way more threes. That's not – That's, that's not almost twice that's what he averaged in his all-star season. So that's a hell of a, a transformation in a couple of years. Hey, let's forget the X's and O's for a second. And, like, what's the juice in the city? I mean, this is one of the most entertaining fan bases in the league, right? I, I still vividly remember that that uh, Hawks-Knicks series where they let fans back in MSG a couple years ago felt like the first big sporting event post-COVID, right? I remember it was like, wow, there's, like, people courtside. And that was such a fun environment, That really a fun season for them. Last year it was the disappointment. What, like... What's the belief level locally? Just what's like the color locally right now? Oh, I mean, you guys should see my a lot of big my group chat. You guys should see the group chat with my high school friends. It is they are they are off their rockers. They're 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 going to the ring fittings already, and they're ready <laughs> to go. Like I I think it's possible. I mean, they have Charlotte at home on Tuesday. It, it the it's possible the environment i likely the environment for that game is going to be absolutely insane like if especially if you know the knicks do what they're supposed to do against the hornets and they get off to a nice run because they're not just beating teams on this stretch that's a the thing they're like they annihilated the hops and they annihilated the nets a couple of times and and they're they're really running up scores on teams they're, they're killing teams i mean they they had a wire to wire win against boston 
at home last week, and then they went in Boston again. Uh, and when they get those big leads, the, the MSG is just insane. Uh, I mean, I don't know. Do you guys? I think they can totally win a playoff series. I think they're definitely good enough. First of all, Tuesday series. night. Tuesday night sounds like a stage set for Kelly Oubre to. to Break some hearts, and you know? I know it does <laughs> seem like a letdown game, right? Like I said, I can, I can already Boston see game. Kelly Oubre after a big yeah. three to give him thirty-five, doing his yep. blowing the kiss yeah. to the crowd. Yeah, Man, I wish Rose you had. Uh, yeah. I wish you had a, a holding mic. You got the AirPods in today because you're at the airport. I wish you could just go grab guys on the street and women on the street and say, "Hey, what do you think about them Knicks? What about them Knicks?" Not if in they a row. knew, how many, if how they knew who going? you were, because we're writers. We're not as famous from a face standpoint, Fred. So, I mean, you know, you have not been asked to sign any autographs during this visit from the airport. But my goodness, if, if they knew who you were, they'd be jumping in on this conversation. Man, I, 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 not famous. I couldn't even get into Nick's shoot around in the heat arena on Friday. So <laughs> that's a tough said, arena to get into. Before. Oh, it is the tough, or tough arena. It is, it is tougher. It's for, tougher than Fort Knox. It is easier to get into the Pentagon. MSG is pretty bad. Yeah, all right. right. We're going down a rabbit hole. Miami is the roughest. Uh, Context of the East, Fred and Slater, too. Uh, You know, they're right there with Cleveland right now. So in terms of contenders, you know, we know it's it's a Boston, Milwaukee, uh, Philly, top three. And then, you know, and listen, the idea that they just took the Celtics out twice in this stretch is no small feat. Three times this season. I think it's – I don't have it in front of me. It's been a very long time since they swept Boston – uh, in terms of, you know, kind of differentiating fun little stretch versus actual identity of this team. And like you said, a team that can win a playoff series and maybe go even farther than that. What do we think? I I think they could win a playoff series. I think it would be a great series against Cleveland. Like even beyond just the Donovan Mitchell revenge series against the team right. he never played for a narrative. Right, I mean, right, that right. would be obviously be really, really fun. And I'm sure there are some people if not everyone in that front office and in that organization, we're going to be saying, Oh man, like you can't lose to Donovan Mitchell in the first round. Like it's right. going to matter to people in that organization. What ends up happening there beyond just the basketball reasons, why it would matter. But I actually think it would be a great series. The Knicks have beaten Cleveland two out of three times this year. They play again at the end of March, which could be really important for seeding uh, with how, the, how close those two teams are right now. Uh, you know, I think, I think, the two guards in Cleveland who are so dynamic against Brunson would be really, really fun. Uh, you know, those, those two room protectors in Cleveland who are so dynamic defensively, uh, you know, would be, would be amazing to see, you know, with, with the way the Knicks attack the rim and, and that would be a great matchup. Uh, I just think, I think that would be a really, really fun basketball series. It does seem like that's the most likely one to happen. I don't really see either of those teams passing Philly. Um, and and but the way the Knicks are playing, Cavs are playing pretty well. I don't really see them dipping to six. There's a, there's a nice gap widening there, so it sure. seems like that series is going to happen. I think at this point, I don't know. It's hard to say who would win. I think it might be a toss up at this point for me. Like the Knicks could win a series. I, I can't believe I'm saying it, but the Knicks Knicks could totally such a homer, Fred. Win a man, I, we we count on you to be critical, and look at you become a home look they're, they are it's not sam it's not just the hot streak and you say it's it's, it's not just it's not it's not even just 11 of 12 and it's not even just 12 of 14 since december 4th they're 29 and 14 i mean that's yeah. a that's a 43 game sample that's 
that's more than half the season where they're why, 29 Fred, and 14. Like, why, why? Why have they become so good? I mean, obviously, Randall's playing well. We mentioned quickly Jalen Brunson's been the signing of the offseason. But, like, what has gotten it to the point where noted New York cynic Fred Katz and the New York media <laughs> believe they could actually win a playoff series? Well, I chose December 4th, not because it's an arbitrary date, because it actually signifies something. That's the date that... Tom Thibodeau shortened the rotation to nine guys. Uh, no more Cam Reddish, no more Evan Fournier, no more Derrick Rose. Uh, went to nine guys on that date. Uh, they had had a terrible loss to Dallas on December 3rd, where they gave up 40 points in the third quarter. Tim Hardaway Jr. and Luka Doncic outscored individually, outscored the Knicks in the third quarter of that game. And they just got blown the doors got blown off of them at home in the third quarter against Dallas and major changes came. They were 10 and 13 on that date and they really turned it around. Part of it is the defense. They were 24th or 26th in points allowed for possession at that point. And the defense has really ratcheted up in part because of the rotational changes. Quentin Grimes is, is so much better uh, defensively than he was last year. I think where he was pretty good. Emmanuel quickly is just so improved and he's been playing more minutes under these circumstances. And that's obviously huge. Uh, Mitchell Robinson has been so much better defensively as well. And the other part of it is like Julius Randle is playing out of his mind. Uh, You know, since November 29th, he's taken more threes than any other player in the Eastern Conference. Uh, It started right around then that he started chugging up all those threes. And Jalen Brunson, who just won player of the month in February in the Eastern Conference, is out of his mind too. He's averaging just short of 30 a game since January 4th. Uh, you know, those, you have two guys playing at a clear all-star level for three months or so. And, uh, you know, a bunch of other bench guys stepping Josh up Hart. at that level. The Josh Hart trade was great for them, too. Yeah, yeah that's another one where he's he's just they're 9-0 with Josh Hart. Uh, he's just he's been a he's been a perfect fit for them. He came in. He closed his first game there. Uh, he just fits in with their identity. He's. Why do you think it's different than a couple of years ago when, you know, they did what well, I think they were the four seed in that Hawk series and they, it, it, it seemed like one of those years where it's like, all right, well, Thibodeau clearly maximized them in the regular season. And, you know, which is a, a criticism of him, I guess you could say that like, it doesn't translate as well to the playoffs when everybody's scouting and preparing and attacking the game like like Thibodeau does in the regular season like why is it different than that season because they're so much more complete like they're just that team that hawk series the narrative came around okay the Hawks swarmed Julius Randle and Randle looked overwhelmed because he's not a lead facilitator he's the guy who's been next to Jalen Brunson that's where he can excel and be his best and they swarmed Randle and Randall struggled, and the offense really struggled, and they lost in five to Atlanta. And I think the narrative coming away from that series was, okay, the Knicks' style, the way that they played was not conducive to the playoffs, and it didn't work in the Hawks series, and Randall was too slow to adjust, Tibbs was too slow to adjust, and it didn't work stylistically. And that is partially true. But I don't believe that that's the main reason why their offense struggled so much against Atlanta, which was not an elite defense or anything like that that year. The reason their offense struggled so much against Atlanta was because they had a bad offense that year. Like they were 24th in offensive efficiency. So when you go up against the playoffs, you're, you're going to struggle even more. And, and I think that's what happens. The Knicks right now, I think are fifth, they're fifth in points, in points per possession. Like they have the fifth best offense in the NBA right now. I mean, this is a totally different team. Now they, they, they don't do it in the way the Warriors do it. They don't look like the 2014 Spurs. They, they're, 
they in Dallas are the two most isolation heavy teams in the NBA. But Brunson is amazing in isolation. He's one of the best point guards in the league now. Uh, Randall has has been chucking him up, uh, and and they've really found the way to score without three point shooting because they're just good at all the other things. You know, Mitchell. Don't overlook Mitchell Robinson's offensive rebounding. Like he's he and Stephen Adams, two best offensive rebounders in the league, in my opinion. And it's so essential to their offense. Isaiah Hartenstein's offensive rebounding. I mean, they're 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 really as good of an offensive rebounding team. They as profile you're get. really well, man. Like yeah, fifth in offense, fourteenth in defense, and then this is not even trying to to go down the hot take road here. And I hadn't had this thought all season long, but you know, if this continues, is is Tom Thibodeau the guy who we all assume? I mean, listen, the arc of, of Tibbs' career is is year three. Everybody starts get you know getting tired of his voice. That's what we are used to believing. Um, to his credit, he's gone from being a guy that we were talking about around the league as possibly being in trouble hot seat wise to you know playing a big part in this turnaround and uh and probably should be in on that coach of the year conversation i mean they're very well coached i yeah. I, don't, I don't think you can watch them and and think of them as anything other than well coached they they play crazy hard um everybody has so i was having a conversation with mitchell robinson at his locker about a week ago and there was a play in a game that they were in where against against Boston at home actually last week, where it's the fourth quarter, tight game. Mitchell Robinson blocks Malcolm Brogdon at the rim, and then he busts to the other side, and he's the first one down the court. Like he doesn't just beat his man; he beats everyone down the court after getting a block. Uh, quickly puts up a floater in transition, and Mitch has perfect positioning for offensive rebounding because he got down the floor so quickly, and he gets a tip in. Uh, so I asked Mitch about that and, and I asked him why he was running so hard down the court and what his goals are when he's just busting ass in transition like that. And I thought he was going to say, oh, you know, you're trying to fill the lane and 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 hopefully you get a you know, wide open dunk out of it. Uh, I thought that's what he was going to say. And it wasn't what he said. He just immediately says transition threes. I said, what do you mean? He said, I got to draw the defense in and that way quickly or Grimes or Josh Hart or somebody else can get an open transition three because that's that's going to be the big thing. That's all I'm trying to do when I'm when I'm busting down the floor like that. It's like, man, that's not just like knowing your role. That's kind of like knowing your role is I set screens and and I and I dive and I play defense and I block shots and I call the defensive signals and all that. That's like that's like understanding the nuances of your role. That's really embracing your role in every single type of context. And I think they have that across the roster. And that's pretty, it's not unheard of, certainly. There are a lot of other teams like that, but it's it's more uncommon than not that you have a bunch of guys who just understand their roles to that degree, to the way that Mitchell Robinson was talking about, the way that Quickly does, the way Grimes does, the way Hart does, um, Brunson, even Randall, the way that he's adjusted next to next to Brunson so willingly. Uh, you know, I, I think they have a bunch of guys who are just really embracing the way that they play. And look, that's on the coaching staff, right? Like that's, they, they have, they have total buy-in right now. Right, right, right. Good stuff, man. Listen, we were going to go deep on the Knicks without you. What a nice surprise. Well, that's um, why I'm here. I know. I appreciate you, brother. I will not forget this. Uh, do you want to stay with us? Are you going to head home? What is your plan I'm, here? I'm, I'm heading home. You guys okay. do your thing. You guys, you guys talk about talk about jar or whatever you're going to talk about today. Yeah, we got plenty more to come. All right, I think we need an ad break here. Uh, yeah, let's and- add break. Yeah, let's have a break. All right, Fred. Travel safe, brother. Appreciate you. Good stuff. 
on the other side of this break, uh, I think we're going to tackle the Steph Curry return, Mr. Slater. We will get to Ja, but I feel like we are in a hoops state of mind, and that is an off-court situation in Memphis. Um, That and much, much more on the other side of the break. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. All right, Slater, we are back. Let's keep it moving. Uh, Like I said, we're going to stay on the hoops front. We'll get to the John Morant saga in a few here. But uh, you were at the Chase Center. Last evening. No, I'm sorry. Crypto.com arena afternoon. Afternoon, doubleheader, Clippers, Mavs, Lakers, Warriors, all kinds of hoops action going on at the crypto. The actual uh, double doubleheader in crypto, which was, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. Yeah, uh, sus. Clippers, Grizzlies in that game. Yes. Oh, what did I say? Clippers, I think Mavs. You I'm had all over the place, something. man. I'm sorry. Yeah, Clippers, yeah, Grizzlies, so- and we are going to talk about that too. All right, Steph Curry though had missed 11 games with a lower leg injury. Steph Curry's pretty good ball player and a guy that the Warriors desperately need if they have even the slightest chance of defending their championship, you know, let alone getting into the playoffs, not by way of the play-in. Uh, they kept their heads above water without him, played pretty well, roughly 500 basketball, um, and, you know, end up dropping that game 
to the Lakers, uh, but thoughts, observations, analysis, uh, this is a, a big moment for them. And, and also, any clarity on Mr. Wiggins, who has been out for some time with personal reasons as well? Yeah, we'll start with the game. Um, you know, Steph himself looked good. I mean, that's the one of his kind of superpowers is the condition he keeps himself in, right? I mean, it's – and I'm not just talking during an injury, but if it's mid-August, if it's July, if it's day one of training camp, the guy's just always in like a, a – pretty like peak physical shape um so he was able to play 30 plus minutes uh you know the the shot he missed two open threes in the first quarter i think he had a scoreless first quarter like played like seven eight minutes um and you're like eh, you know a little bit rusty but shook it off right away came back in uh, for his second quarter stint scored eight he actually had 19 in the fourth there was that sequence where austin reeves like kind of skied and blocked his shot and of course you know the lakers crowd was like I wouldn't say taunting Steph, but, you know, if Austin Reeve has a spike block, that really kind of gets the Lakers crowd going, particularly That's when it's on Billy Steph. Billy Kobe, man. They love that yeah. kid. Um, and then he, uh, same possession because it was off Reeves out of bounds. Steph hits like, a you know, a, a 29-footer with Reeves all over him um, and kind of gives it back to the crowd a little bit. And it felt like one of his little, you know, he – he has had several injuries in his career, and he always kind of has those like "I'm back" type moments. The most famous one in Portland, um, it kind of felt like that because it was during this sequence where he got really hot, scored 19. They did not win; uh, they were on a five-game winning streak without him before he came back. But guess what? Clearly, was at he's home. the problem. He is well, the problem. Yeah. The problem is their location, right? I mean, yeah. everybody is knows seven this wins point. on the year on the road. Seven and twenty-four on the road. That's just like basically the same record as the Pistons on the road. And then twenty-seven and seven at home, which is like the same record as the Milwaukee Bucks at home. So it's just they it's 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 difficult to to even understand at times. Sure. Um, but yeah, I mean that's it's kind of one of the issues they're trying to solve. Uh but I do think they're in a healthier place and they've been at a lot of points this season. Um, from a, just like I think a lot of the the side pieces on the team kind of found a rhythm without Steph, and then you don't really worry too much about Steph uh, getting back. What about the Wiggins component? Yeah, he's it's nearing three weeks that he'll be gone. Uh, it's kind of like shrouded in mystery, you would say. I mean, like the team is maintaining that like it's an excused absence that he's away. They're only saying family matter. Wiggins is even prior to this situation is a very private individual. Um, that tries to keep his personal life his personal life so they're not delivering many details about it um they uh, and bob myers has even said this publicly but are saying like they do expect him back like they don't think this is going to be a rest of the season type thing but you know this is their second third most important player whatever you want to put him at and he's he's basically missed three weeks and not only that I mean, the assumption is he's not playing basketball anywhere during this, like, you know, three-week period. So he's going to need to recondition himself. He's going to need to rediscover a groove that he really hasn't had since he got hurt in December. Right. So, uh, and, and and the clock is kind of ticking, you know, that they, they seem like they're in stable position to make the playoffs, even if they don't get what they need out of him. But we saw what happened in the playoffs last season. They won the title because Wiggins just elevated his game to a level none of us even knew he had in him you know he's guarding Luka Doncic and Jason Tatum and you know doing his two-way Wiggins stuff in the playoffs uh he like he's got to get back to that and part of getting back to that is literally getting back to the team and at this point there's no clarity on when exactly that'll be 
Yeah, I mean, and their defense being such a problem all year long. I mean, he, you know, he's a massive X factor if they do have a chance to contend. So we'll see what happens there. It would behoove them. You talk about that road record, man. Uh, they are currently, as we do the pod, two games behind the Phoenix Suns, uh, who are in fourth. And so home court is within reach. Uh, hey, we, ha, we mentioned the four or five of like possibility of the East, go, which right. is Knicks Cavaliers. How about KD against the Warriors as a four or five? Well, I am loving the way that this stuff. Although I, I admittedly, I kind of hate that because this is a problem I've never had before. I joked with someone the other day. I said, "Man, I'm going to be sitting up here near Sacramento, potentially having to choose between, you know, some Kings playoff series, which is 15 minutes from my house, or." I mean, but if we got Warrior Suns happening down the road, I might need to come join y'all and, and watch that action. Well, you know, what could help you if the Kings get home court and the Warriors don't, if they're the five side of that four or five, the fair. first two yeah. games are in fair, Phoenix, while well, the first two games would be in Sacramento. So maybe the NBA will do you a scheduling favor and you can hit both series. Because, you know, I wouldn't mind hitting both series as well. But it is an easy segue from there to, you know, making our way around the league. There's there's just a lot happening right now, man. There's a lot of fun teams. And, and you know, we wrote this roundtable the other day on the national side about load management. And it's so nice to have a little bit less load management right now. Guys are playing. Games are good. The action's, you know, pretty hot at the moment. So uh, those Phoenix Suns, since Mr. Kevin Durant, <clears throat> excuse me, has come to town um, are three and zero, and uh, they take care of Dallas on Sunday afternoon in a game that I I watched the tail end of last quarter. And first of all, I mean the you know the wild ways in which these Mavericks with Luka Doncic and Kyrie Irving can continue to find ways to lose close games is brutal. You know, and in this one, Luka misses a late bunny that I I believe would have tied the game. Not the kind of you know kind of miss that you see Luca ever have. Uh, he gets frustrated in, in the worst moment of the game for him. Devin Booker comes over and reportedly is basically telling the ref that Luca should have been called for a foul. Luca doesn't like that he's saying anything. Tells him to shut the f up. They get in each other's faces. I mean, we got playoff level intensity long before the playoffs. Um, but the Suns in general look, you know. As, as advertised so far. Um, certainly depth questions, maybe defensive questions, uh, but the Kevin Durant-Devin-Booker combo, and certainly to watch that and how well it's working within the context of his old buddy Kyrie Irving being on the Dallas side and struggling with his dynamic duo with Lucas so far uh, was poignant in a lot of different ways. And, and KD, man, like he's going to unlock, I think, Devin which is saying something. Devin was already unlocked all by himself. Devin early this season before he got hurt was putting up MVP caliber numbers. But uh, I keep thinking about Slater the years ago, that summertime viral video of, of book when he got frustrated that he was getting double teamed and, and kind of infamously telling people in that run, like it's, you know, we're not double teaming y'all like it's summer and, and took a lot of flag for that. Well, guess what? Kevin Durant's being on your team means Devin's not going to see a whole lot of doubles anymore and that is a dangerous thing for the rest of the league um you know what do you think of these guys so far i mean it's durant it's like he's the reason that like immediately it's like yeah yeah i can see the suns winning the title right um uh, i mean this is so these are kevin durant's three games with the suns so far 10 of 15 shooting 7 of 10 shooting 12 of 17 shooting right uh, it's not only the obviously extreme efficiency <laughs> it's almost 70 percent 
but it's the lack of field goal attempts he needs to score 23, 20, 37 on set 12 of 17 yesterday. Because guess what? You look at Devin Booker's stat line, Devin Booker, 15 and 26, 12 of 24, 15 and 25 in those three <laughs> games. You know, he's shooting crazy. eight more free, you know, field goals per game right now than KD. And that's right. you know, KD is it like he's so easy to fit in as a chess piece on the court. There's no team, there's no superstar, there's no player or type of team that that you'd be like, ah, it's not really like that's not a good team for Kevin Durant. No, he'll just right, come right, in right. and he's gonna make everybody else better and elevate, you know, everything around him. Um, I think Devin Booker was never never profiled as a as a one A on a title team. They almost won the title a couple of years ago and he would have been the best player on a title team, but he's never fit that right. He to me, he's more of a two if you're a really, really good team, a real contender. Um, so he bumps into, I think, a more comfortable role for him. The high volume two next to a guy KD who says, "Hey, you could take more shots to me. I'll probably score more points still because I'm gonna hit every shot I take." But uh, and then DeAndre Ayton, I think it's pro- he's probably more comfortable accepting a role as like a you know a three on this team. You would say because it's easier for him to look at Kevin Durant and be like. Yeah, that looks like a superstar, right? It's it's tough for him, I think, to grumble about like lack of maybe shot attempts or lack of you know fame that comes from this because it's just like, look, Kevin Durant's Kevin Durant, um, and then Chris Paul's at the stage of his career where like he really should be kind of you know the fourth most important player on a team tops, and right. and now he could be that. So I just think the addition the addition just like puts everyone in their proper place for you know contention and, and to be honest i i'd pick the suns coming out of the west right now and that's obviously dependent on health which is a big question mark but if they're healthy that's just that top four and particularly that top one two on that team i think is better than everybody else's right now yeah i mean i've been given my little disclaimer that i don't handicap super teams until we see them but we are now seeing them and i'm closer to being in your camp in terms of them being the west favorites although you know it does it just feels disrespectful to not make sure you give Denver their flowers. They've been doing it all year long. Um, let me hit on a couple other West teams real quick because things have been, you know, kind of very active in the wrong kind of ways for these squads. The, the Clippers pull that game out against the Grizzlies, but that's, of course, a Grizzlies team with no John Moran, no Dylan Brooks, no Steven Adams. Uh, Might have been missing other guys as well. And, and really, Memphis fell apart late. They were ahead for most of that game. That... Uh, was the Clippers' first win in the last six tries. They they lost their first five games with Russell Westbrook. I saw them when they came through Sacramento the other day, fell to the Kings, tight game. Paul George thought he got hit late on a shot that I think would have tied it, but you know, just not playing good ball. And, of course, uh, lazy narrative or not, it's inescapable to have the discussion not begin with the new guy who came to town when they started losing games because they had been winning – Prior to that time, um, what are you seeing when it comes to this? I mean, it, you know, this this Russ and the Clippers and Paul and Kawhi and that group trying to get things going. Yeah, I mean, you saw it in that uh, Warriors game that I was at, uh, the way the Warriors defended them. I mean, they, they basically rearranged their game plan specifically to have Draymond sag off Westbrook. They put Draymond on Russ um, and had him sit in the paint it was exaggerated. It obviously, you know, turned into like viral videos just from, I think people just, you know, like the the comical component of it. But it was like, you know, strategically, um, 
really mucked the game up for for the Clippers offense. And, you know, they were not only were telling Draymond, hey, stay off him, but nobody rotate over. Um, and, it, you know, like that to me is is like they they bottled up the Clippers offense because of it. And, and I think in a playoff series, that is the type of scheme that they're going to face. Um, and, you know, it's. It's, you know what I thought of that that I, I want to bounce off you and and you know I want to make sure I don't try to pretend I'm a sports psychologist here. But Paul George pushed pretty t- or pretty hard for Russell Westbrook. That that reporting is is undisputed, and he's publicly done the same thing when they were talking about the Russ possibility. I just wonder if you're Paul George um, and you did this Clippers thing with Kawhi Leonard, who is the by all accounts the poster boy for load management, a guy who physically has struggled last couple of years just to stay on the floor. You know, it it feels a little bit to me like, you know, perhaps Paul reached the point where, you know, his his sense was, listen, everybody, like, I'm not down on what we're doing here. I understand the reasons, but I've spent a lot of time playing out there without a co-star. And Russ, of course, is the guy that he was with most recently in Oklahoma City, a guy that he has been rocking with before and after that experience, and a guy that he speaks highly of, thinks highly of, is very close with, <clears throat> excuse me, and it feels a little bit like, you know, Paul might have just wanted, like, you just got to give me that backup guy. I got to have another guy. And that that might have been part of the mentality. And before you, you you kind of give your two cents, the other context that got my attention here the other day was Paul visited with J.J. Redick on his fantastic Old Man in the Three podcast. And on that pod, talked about load management in the kind of way that you would not expect a Clippers star to talk about load management, which is to say, and I'm paraphrasing that he basically said, you know, we, we don't practice. He's talking NBA wide. We don't practice anymore. He doesn't think that's the best thing for players that it essentially you get softer because you're not competing all the time. He talked about his Pacers days, his experience with Frank Vogel and how they, it, it was, you play hard on game day, you practice hard on practice day. And to hear that from Paul, and then just to kind of try to unpack it all, considering that it does run counter to what the perception of the Clippers' ethos is, is is interesting to me, and, and maybe might play a small part in explaining why he wanted Russ on this team. Yeah, I mean, because Russ is going to bring it every day. Like yeah. that is the one thing, and and Russ is highly respected by players, right. uh, league wide, for that you know exact thing. I mean, I don't know how many times I can remember back in my early days covering the Thunder, getting to the arena, like. Two and a half hours early, especially, you know, young reporter, like, gonna get there really early today. And it's like Russell Westbrook is out there two and a half hours, empty arena, like going through a very, you know, stringent routine. I mean, he's OCD about it. Um, so he has a high level of like professional respect about the way he goes about his business. And, and yeah, maybe there's just a belief that, you know, he enters the fray and brings a level of seriousness and toughness to the situation. Now, is what the way his offensive game has fallen. Uh, I just think presents strategic trouble for them, as I was mentioning. Uh, it, it you know, kind of blocks Terrence Mann's spot in in the starting lineup and maybe in the rotation at times. But the truth is, you know, if the Clippers do make the playoffs, and I still think they're in fine position in, in a West that, you know, yes, it's packed up, but also like you know, a lot of these teams are just going to keep losing because they've been losing all season. So I do think the Clippers will make the playoffs, and by the time they get to the playoffs. 
they'll have enough of a what Russell Westbrook sample to decide. I think. Do you bring him off the bench? Do you have him in a small role? Is he still on the team? You know, it's a very uh, low stakes contract they have him on a minimum prorated deal. That at any point, if it really went south, you could cut him. I'm not saying they're going to do that, but it's an option. Um, so maybe by then. You know, they'll have found the correct role for him and maybe he plays him. You know, they want they did. They came back and beat the the Grizzlies yesterday. And and Paul George was awesome, had 42. Russell Westbrook had a real like power and one and and, and kind of screamed towards the baseline. Balmer was over there going crazy. Man, he has spit coming out of his mouth. Yeah, he dropping yeah. a mother effer. That was something. Yeah, it wasn't the most impressive win because obviously <laughs> the Grizzlies didn't have half their team, basically. And, yeah. uh, you know, they had. They give up what, like a fifty-one point third In quarter. Third, yeah, man. Yeah, so um, we'll see. I, I don't, I don't know where it's going, but I, I do think you're, you're right on your read of like why Paul George might have wanted him around. So uh, I'm bouncing around. Good analysis on the Clippers. Let's talk Mavs. They make sure I get this right here. Since Kyrie came to town and began playing with Luca, which would be February 11th. They have now lost six out of eight games. Um, that matchup with the Suns, and apologies for jumping games here. I should have just gone from Suns to Mavs, but that's all right. Um, that matchup with the Suns was uh, interesting because it was a mirror image to an extent of two teams with similar profiles, just one, I think, better than the other. You know, defense being a concern for both to a lesser degree with the Suns and and uh, in a tight game all the way through, but then Phoenix finds a way to separate at the end. Like you said, Mr. Durant having a lot to do with that, a, a big mid-range shot on the left side to seal the game. But, man, the, the late-game stuff with Luka and Kyrie, and, and nothing like disastrous in this one like there had been in a couple of other games, um, but you do conceivably have two of the best closers in the game, two of the better closers. I mean, Kyrie at his peak is the closer, um, but – just not coming together so far. I know it's relatively early, but you know this is what we talked about when the Mavs made this move with Brooklyn was the pressure that came with having such a tight window because of Kyrie's free agency this summer. Like, you know, if, if you had to pick one team that made a big move at the deadline that really needed to get off to a good start to avoid the big picture conversation that might come with struggle, it was the Mavs, and then you know they've they've ended up really scuffling. Yeah, but this is again where I just think the West standings are so forgiving. Where, you know, you're th- they're thirty three and thirty two, and I can remember seasons. You know, I remember covering the the season for the Thunder where Durant breaks his foot, and they win forty eight games, but they're the nine and don't get into the playoffs uh, because the you know the uh, eight seed was like a 49 win team. Or I remember when the Grizzlies one year, the Marcus Soul Grizzlies were 50 win seven seed. That's just no longer required in the West where, you know, we mentioned the Clippers. Well, they're, you know, they're sitting there at the eight right now. The Mavericks are at the seven. It's not like, they're not good early signs with Westbrook or good early signs with Kyrie and Luca, but you know, they're a three game winning streak from being out of the play in and, and, to be honest, like they're going to be judged. I assume both Clippers and Mavericks with the way the Jazz are basically tapping out of the season at this point, it seems. The Pelicans, you know, they just don't have anybody healthy right now, so they're probably falling off. The Lakers don't have LeBron. I don't think they're ready to surge. The Thunder are basically, you know, it's, it, it sounds like taking it easy with Shea Gilgis-Alexander. I don't expect the Blazers to rise. So at this point, I think the Clippers are making it in, and I think the Mavericks are making it in kind of by default. So... 
they're going to be judged once they get there. And and even if they're in as the eight or in as the seven, you're talking about an eight, you're playing a Nuggets team who, you know, I probably doubt more than others as, as, as you tend to, uh, you know, remind me. But, you know, if you're the seven, are you playing the Grizzlies at two with everything that's going on about the Grizzlies we might even talk about? Do they fall? Um, it's just, I, I like, I think Kyrie and Luca have time is what I'm saying. They have time right. to try to solve this. I don't like the supporting cast around them. I like, but you would think that one of their advantages would be tight game late. We have closers that are better than your closers. We can hand it to Luca or hand it to Kyrie and they can bring us over the finish line. And that just has not happened early on. We'll see if that changes. Right, right. All right, good stuff. Um, let's keep in the West and finally tackle the toughest topic of the week. Uh, and in case folks are tempted to tune out because it's a, a non-basketball John Morant topic, uh, we'll have a nugget at the end, uh, or a blazer, if you will. That's the teaser. An interesting thing I want to throw at you about one Damian Lillard that we'll cap the podcast with. Um, listen, when it comes to Ja, just incredibly unfortunate situation, unnecessary. Um you know, he, everybody listening, I'm sure, has heard at this point, the Grizzlies play at Denver on Friday. Um, late that night, Ja jumps on Instagram Live, and, and he's partying, and, and he's in some sort of club atmosphere and, and flashes uh, a gun on video while he's partying. And you see, you know, people in the background, music playing, this and that. And, you know, in a vacuum, it would have been a, a, an incredibly problematic thing to post um but this wasn't in a vacuum this is a guy in jaw who had already been tied to a number of situations in which people accused him or people around him of flashing guns threatening with guns and and specifically you're talking last summer uh you know he's been sued by a young man a 17 year old for being beat up at jaw's house on the outside uh, outskirts of memphis pickup game at his house and, um, you know, as, as the story goes in terms of the lawsuit, um, they get into it after a pickup game and, you know, the young man claims that he was punched 12 to 13 times by Ja. And in that interaction, again, timing wise, that's last summer, uh, in that interaction, the lawsuit states that, that Ja had come out of the house, according to the kid with uh, a gun in his belt and flashed that and, and that his father supposedly told him, you know, no, no, no. So that's number one. Accusations, unproven, but accusations nonetheless. Now the you know the same summer, four days later, according to the Washington Post, uh, an incident at a Memphis mall in which Jaws' mother apparently had some sort of disagreement with an employee at a shoe store, and according to their reporting, had called Ja uh, essentially for some help, and he shows up with quite a few people, gets into it with a security guard. No gun accusation in that situation, but. The, the guard claimed that he was pushed in the head by one of his people. There were threats. Not good. Um, then you have you know the story that we broke from January 29th when the Grizzlies and the Pacers had been having words all game long. Post-game, uh, Pacers employees, players, staff out by their bus, and John with, no pun intended, with people tied, you know close to Ja by the loading dock while Ja was doing his media. He wasn't there early on in that situation. But they go, they, they're verbally sparring for about 20 minutes. Jaw eventually comes out, according to what we were told in the reporting, um, gets in one of those SUVs that's near the team bus for the Pacers. And the Pacers folks claim that they had red lasers pointed at them that, you know, for lack of a better way of putting it, terrified them. You had people who thought they were going to get shot. The league investigates, did not cooperate the presence of a gun. Um, 
there's all that smoke, which the Grizzlies are known for in a much more playful way. This is not playful. All that smoke, and Ja decides, obviously in a moment where he's probably been, you know, he's just not clear-minded, he's partying, um, that he's going to flash an actual gun. And it creates an incredibly challenging situation for the Grizzlies, for the league. Thankfully, to this point, beyond the young man who says he got beat up at Ja's house, nobody's been hurt that I'm aware of. So the good news for me and what I wrote the other day is I know it's easy to sit on the sideline media-wise and, you know, part of our job is to pontificate. I'm not trying to sit here and take any sort of, you know, um, kind of preachy tone at all. I'm just happy that nobody's been hurt, and I'm hoping that the spotlight can be a cleanser here and that Ja can finally realize what he has at stake and start moving differently. Um, the league, I'm very curious to see what they decide to do. The Grizzlies, of course, you know, made a statement that Ja's away from the team for at least two games. Uh, Coach Taylor Jenkins said after they played the Clippers that it was unclear how long his absence would be. Uh, I was happy to hear the Grizzlies use the word accountability because they have been incredibly protective, I think, too much so to this point um, with when it comes to his stuff. Uh, but, yeah, this is not the kind of headlines the league or the Grizzlies or Ja and his family should want. I was, uh, you know, we mentioned earlier, it was a doubleheader at, uh, in L.A. yesterday, and I was leaving the Warriors game as fans were beginning to show up around the arena for the Grizzlies-Clippers game that was coming up. A lot of kids in John Morant jerseys. He's extremely popular, particularly among, like, you know, younger kids. To me, it, it's a little reminiscent to me of, of when I go on the road and see all the little Steph Curry jerseys everywhere. He's kind of coming up as as one of the you know faces of the league which you know you mentioned uh, just the financials at stake for John Moran I think for the league too um they this you know I think the Grizzlies did the minimum here they didn't even say the word suspension it was like you know he's going to step away from the team for two games uh, there clearly seems to be some sort of you know, right now, I think with the league and with the Grizzlies, and I'm sure with Jaw and Jaws, uh, you know, people they're trying to just figure out, you know, the best PR way to reintegrate him. I, I would guess, um, and that to me, I, is, I'm very curious about. You know how how long does he stay away? How do they bring him back? And the one thing, how does Jaw Morant handle? A, like, does he sit in a press conference and and answer a bunch of questions about this type of stuff? He's kind of shaded away from answering many questions about that and he, you know he put out a statement that took some level of accountability but it was clearly the kind of a manufactured statement right i want to see him like does he like i said I mean, first of all from, how long is he going to be out right because things yeah. that we don't have clarity on whose gun was it was that gun brought on a team plane which is 100 percent against collective bargaining agreement rules um that's my understanding you know, where were they? Uh, the circumstances matter, and the league's ruling from here matters. It's it's also, this might not be fair, but it is what it is. It's part of the context. You know, when it comes to NBA Commissioner Adam Silver, you know, he's been doing this job long enough now that we have continually run into situations that are sensitive like this, where the people who either covered the league before Adam was commissioner or were just part of it or around it will very often say – well, man, if David was still commissioner, David Stern, like, you know, and, and David, of course, handled the wizard situation with Gilbert Arenas and Javaris Crittenton 13 years ago, came down very hard there. You know, Gilbert basically lost that season. Um, now that was bringing guns into an NBA space. That was NBA property, NBA locker room. But if the gun, this gun that we saw in the video 
was brought onto an, a team plane, which again, to be clear, I do not have clarity on at this point, then that should take this whole entire situation to another level. So I don't know when we're going to see Ja again. I don't know what the league's response is going to be, and who knows if this pod holds up throughout the course of the day if there's a development that's coming in the next couple of hours. But um, they can't – They, man, I don't know. I mean, this is just a societal thing. Is like they, they absolutely cannot act as if this is not incredibly – serious and important and and with where this country is at and the part that guns have played um and and everything you just hit on slater about children and it's like what what are we doing i mean ja is a dude who is so talented you know by all accounts raised by a very good family and you know that's where you you start talking unfortunate unnecessary and but the the ramifications of the messaging from the league standpoint if they if they come in soft on this i think would would be really really unfortunate. Yeah, a lot at stake, no doubt, including a grizzly season that seemed so promising for a while. And I know that's like you know we're not trying to wrap too much hoops into this, but you know where where does that see their season go with the same day Brandon Clark? This is the same day Brandon Clark tore his Achilles and Dylan Brooks, you know, got dinged for a one game suspension for his sixteenth technical. It was like kind of this confluence of events with, that made you really question, like, where is this going for the number two seed in the West? Right, right. No doubt. All right, let's end on a lighter note. Much, much, much lighter note. Our friend and former colleague at The Athletic, Bill Oram, is now a columnist for The Oregonian. And uh, Bill talked to one Damian Lillard from the Portland Trailblazers over the weekend, and, uh, and, and Dame said something pretty interesting that I want to get your opinion on, Slater, that it is his opinion that he has it in him to score 100 points at some point, to do what Will Chamberlain so famously did and to do something that the Kobe Bryants of the world and all-time scoring champion LeBron James, a, a long list of other greats have not been able to do, to score 100 points. Now, Dame obviously scored 71 recently against Houston, This uh, against the Rockets. This was the... You know, when I do assume... they have Houston again on the schedule? <laughs> but Bill and Dane, the, I mean, it's not just this is not just kind of a a hot takey column. I don't think it's the idea that like they analyzed what Dame did that day, and and it was his basketball view, and he breaks down play by play. You know, shots that didn't fall. You know, like I think it's cool because it's from a in terms of him being a a brilliant basketball mind. It was him painting a picture of like, no, I can look at seventy one and tell you how that could have been a hundred. Um, or at least something close to it. But, it, you know, more broadly speaking, uh, that question I want to posit to you, Dame or anybody else, is is there a human within today's association who uh, who has it in them to score 100 points, and is Dame that guy? Well, the three-point volume has made it, like, more realistic. Um, you yeah, well, sh- didn't hit any threes in case yeah, you wanted. Shooting, well, but even, like, you go – five years ago like you know even when Steph Curry was busting out like he he's he's currently taking many more threes per game because everyone in the league is we're earlier in the show talking about Julius Randle's chucking up like 10 plus a game um so the 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 volume I think makes it like I said more realistic but to me for somebody to actually do it it would have to be kind of shameless in a way of like let's say Lillard was even hotter in that game and and 
you know, was in the 80, 90 range. Well, that means the Blazers are up another 10, 20 points. You know, like if somebody's scoring a hundred, their team is probably winning by like 30, 40, 50 points uh, against a team like Houston. That's like, you know, they're down on their luck season. They have no hope of, of kind of jolting back. Um, so by the way, as our, our, Super producer Andrew Schlecht shares the Blazers have the Pistons tonight. So who knows? Maybe tonight's the night. Trying to put that up as a candidate. I just mean like I think if you're on your way to 100, if you're on pace for 100, you know, we're talking about having 75 through three quarters, you're probably up 40 against a team that has no energy to come back. And then it's like, are you just going to spend the fourth quarter like allowing your player to go out there and just chuck freely to get 100? Maybe you are, and that's fine. But I think that would be – you would have to do it kind of shame. Yeah, it runs the risk of having terrible optics. I didn't love the optics of the Rockets game, if I'm being honest. I think think we talked about it on the pod. Like, you know, he he kept gunning for it late. And and the part of me that would like to see him just in a more competitive environment because of how great he is, you know, I find this angle interesting but also a little bit depressing. Like, is this what – He's, is, is this what we're doing in Portland these days? And I know it's just a conversation, so I, I shouldn't be too critical. But, um, you know, conversely, it is wild that he has become such a lethal scorer that, you know, a podcast like this would even entertain that idea. And to give a quick number, you know, beyond his 71-point game and let people know what he's been doing, uh, and this is not a small sample size. In the last 23 games later, Dame is averaging 38.9 points. Uh, now Portland is 11 and 12. During that time, um, you know, it's he's kind of just doing what he has to do for them to stay afloat. But 38.9 over the course of more than a quarter of an NBA season is uh, is pretty monstrous. Yeah. No, he's he's been insane. I mean, like, it's funny. I was at that Blazers-Warriors game uh, last week, and the Warriors – really aggressively they they blitzed him on pick and rolls and they did a box and one they had a you know which is very rare it's becoming i guess a little bit more uh common but uh just to completely get it out of his hands he still scored 21 facing that type of defense and i was going back to the box score because you know i'm writing about the, the scheme and getting in the ball out of lillard's hands which which did frustrate him but you know you're going and he he like i said i think he had believe it was 21 and i'm like man 21 this is his lowest scoring game i'm like scrolling down his game log like oh this is like his lowest scoring game in the last 22 games or something like that and like you know 21 points is great it's not nothing yeah uh, yeah uh so i mean that i i would just remember looking at the game log like man this is insane some of the numbers he's been putting up on just like a nightly basis um and and has really had to you know no simons right now he tried to come back from an ankle injury and then basically immediately had to go out again. So he doesn't have a ton of help offensively. And yeah, they're floundering a little bit. Um, you know, they're, I think they have a little bit of an opening here where I do think the jazz are about to, like I said earlier, bow out, you know, a little bit purposefully here. Um, so I think somebody can slip into the 10. I think the Pelicans are vulnerable at the nine. So maybe they could get into the nine, 10 side of the playing bracket and, and, you know, it would be on the back of one of those Damian Lillard, you know, insane, you know, two months scoring binges. Right. No doubt. All right, brother. Good stuff. We had a, a little cameo from Mr. Katz, who we thought we were going to miss this week, and a good, robust, lengthy Knicks conversation, uh, all things association from there. Appreciate you. Appreciate the listeners. And we will talk to everybody next week. <laughs>